0: To the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, I'm joined by Stephen Hussey in 3D. Man, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, very excited to have you back. And I wanted to kind of pick up on the conversation that we had last time. The latest data that I found on the topic suggests now that 39% of all couples meet online. Do you see that as a positive or a negative?
1: Uh, I see it as neutral. I don't mind where people meet. Um, Whenever I've been teaching or coaching, talking to people about dating, I always see people with prejudices. I only want to meet in person. I don't like the idea of online. I always say, why not do both? I don't really see the point in having a... When we're just our aim is to, you know, when you're trying to meet someone, you just want to spread, you know, spread the actual net far and wide. So, why not meet someone online? Why not meet someone in person? I think online is here to stay. I've been to multiple weddings over the last few years of very close friends. You ask them where they met, it's like Tinder. We matched on Hinge. So, you have to at some point accept like this is how a bunch of people are finding people now. We spend a lot of our time with our head in our phones on social apps so if people are meeting there great like i'm happy people are doing it
0: yeah i i think that it poses a number of interesting questions um one of the things that i think back to was when we did the first interview yeah and um I, we asked our instagram audience you know what are your thoughts on various topics and uh one person replied to a post that we asked about online dating And someone replied, chronic online data here. Online dating is very convenient. However, after a while and a load of dates, you sat in front of someone that doesn't seem like a real person anymore. Um, Is this just an extreme reaction, or do you see a kind of numbness that could perhaps come from it?
1: Here's the thing. I think when you meet someone online, if you match with them on a dating app, you don't know yet if you have chemistry. Mm -hmm. You haven't met them in person. And so it's not like when you met someone in a bar or at a friend's barbecue or something, and you go, oh, we got on really well. We chatted for an hour. So I know we're going to have fun on this date. I know I already like what they like. We like similar movies. We have fun. I made them laugh. You're going on that date and you're like, I like the profile. We had a bit of good text conversation. Maybe sometimes not even much text conversation. (laughs) So. So you're going to meet to find out if you have chemistry, not because you have chemistry. So I think the online dating stuff comes inherently with more opportunity for disappointment. And that's where I think people get burnt out. They go, I've been on a bunch of... There's one group who say, I don't get enough dates from it. And -hmm. that's frustrating. There's another group who go, I go on a bunch of dates And I find the person was a creep. I wasn't interested. We had nothing to talk about. It was flat. There was no flirtation. And so they start to get that numbness, I think. And I think the combination of feeling like, God, I've spent lots of time swiping on these apps and these dates are not super exciting. I think people do get burnt out, which is why I tell people to use both. You do need to look at your calendar and say, do I... Have opportunities to meet people that aren't just dating apps because otherwise you can't get dating app addiction mm. and also i think you have to be thoughtful about who you choose on dating apps you have to know what you're looking for and maybe you have to screen a bit better maybe you need the phone call maybe you need to have a little FaceTime with them beforehand and say, hey, let's have a five minute FaceTime before we you go on a date. If you're going to dress up and go on a date with this person, why can't you then, why can't you talk to them on the phone for 10 minutes beforehand? <laughs> people go, that's awkward, blah, blah. I'm like, you're going to go and sit with this person, a stranger in a cafe. So why not have a conversation beforehand and just see like, did we have fun? Was I laughing? Did the vibe feel good? I think people would save themselves that disappointment if they were a bit more proactive before that
0: what would cause a deep in-app addiction? Um,
1: I think dating apps have a can have a game-like nature, mm. like all social media, that makes them addictive. It can be addictive just getting matches. It can be addictive to just talk to people and get attention. Some people rarely actually go on dates from dating apps, but do end up texting a bunch of people. Sometimes it's like, People just go through it like a menu, like a buffet menu. And I'm doing nothing today. I'm sitting around a bed. I'm on the toilet. I get my dating app out and I just swipe through a bunch of people. And I think then you can add up like this is a lot of hours with very little return on what I'm doing. So I think it can pay like all social media, like all apps to say, maybe I need to pick a window. You know, it's like Twitter. Maybe it's not healthy to t- check your Twitter 30 times a day. Maybe it's healthier to say, At 7pm, I'm going to like spend my half hour or hour on Twitter, doing my stuff, scheduling my posts. And so I think there's something similar with the dating apps.
0: And you've obviously worked with a lot of people, the work you've done, for instance, get the guy through on your podcast, the millions of people that kind of your work has reached. Um, I'm curious, you know, because I, I give you an example of, I guess, kind of, I think what I would say is kind of an, an outlier. I don't believe that that is the typical person's um, uh, kind of experience of online dating. What do you kind of see as the as the mean? Is it flakiness? Is it just being sent gifts of gir- of giraffes or whatever it is? What, what what do you see as kind of the what people are telling you? What is the average experience
1: Um I think it does differ. Between men and women mm. to some extent. I think that women more report I've worked with hundreds of women over the years, in person, online, through podcasts. So I hear many, many, many stories of what women's experiences are and these things. And, you know, I think women's experiences sometimes having more creeps approach them, having more inappropriate messages. Um maybe just feeling like they're inundated with guys who just want to have sex or or they want to have sexual conversation too quickly. You know, all these kind of things. Um and I think and and but but both men and women go through the same issue. Sometimes they're going, I swipe through for ages and don't meet anyone who I like or doesn't not I don't feel like there's someone I'm excited about. Um and you know men can also feel like they're just totally overlooked ignored they can feel like i am uh, whatever they can feel like i'm not the right height i'm not the right way uh, whatever it is and uh, or i don't have these this ball of life i can show off so i feel like someone's not giving me attention but what i will say is both you know men and women have separate challenges but they are real you know they, they both end up coming down to that same thing of like i i just feel like i'm not matching with the kind of people that I want to meet, I'm, I'm finding like it really difficult to unearth these gems <laughs> uh, beneath all the kind of, you know, digging through the dirt, trying to find like the gems. And and so I think it can be a very, I think it can be a very dispiriting experience. And which is why I really, really, again, I don't think it should be your sole source. Like, I don't think you should limit yourself to one platform if you're doing online dating, but I also don't think you should limit yourself to just meeting people that way. I think you need a much more holistic approach of like am i doing things in my week where i'm likely to meet other single people because if you just do loads in your life and socialize but it's always with your friends with your girlfriends at dinner going to a restaurant with three of you or going to couples night with your other friends you're not going to meet other single people mm. you need to actually think are there places i go where i am in the vicinity of other single people and can actually start conversations with them and You know, it can even be just going to another friend's party where you're likely to meet 50 people you haven't met, but that's an opportunity. So I I really do think you have to kind of holistically look at your whole life and say, where am I creating those opportunities?
0: Yeah, and it it was interesting when I was uh, thinking about having this conversation and I read um, an Alan Watts quote, uh, and the philosopher, he once commented that we don't understand why people Fall in love, or how we find it. Uh, however, it seems to strike the hardest when we're not least expecting it. And I think that kind of this is a tale as old as time. You know, you have the the old grandmother saying, "You know, you'll find it when you least uh, uh, when you least expect it." And I wonder if kind of that was perhaps why you were hinting at, but there in terms of building a life that will naturally. Create the opportunities as opposed to kind of put in all your eggs in a Tinder or a Hinge. Is that kind of what I was getting from? There?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like you need you need some element. I think there's lots you can do to engineer your life to create opportunities. Mm. You also need some element of luck, but you need to increase your surface area for luck to hit you. Yeah. If you want to be recognised for your work, it pays to put a lot of work out there because you've got much more chance of some of that work. Catching fire or being recognized. If you want to make content, you've got a much better chance of putting a bunch of content out. There's, you know, but but yeah, luck is an element in life as well. Some people get lucky when they're 18 and meet their university or high school sweetheart. And it's not that they had some amazing technique. They just, they're the right person at the right time. And they felt ready. Some of us don't feel ready at 18 mm. to have a really serious relationship. And so, so for some of us, it takes a bit longer to also make that decision ourselves and to decide what kind of person do I want? Maybe we have our own growing and maturing to do. Um, So there's all kinds of factors that go into it. I think when it, again, though, when it comes to finding someone like sometimes, yeah, yeah, the more you have an active dating life, the more you, sometimes there are guys who like, they think they just want to be like a man about town, having fun, dating around. And it's only when they're creating a lot of opportunities and meeting different people, suddenly they meet that one person and they're like, oh, I thought I wanted to be like Mr. Single, Bachelor, having fun, and I just met someone amazing and my whole conception of what I want has changed. And you have to be open in that way. That's that's where that, I, I think people who are open to being surprised, to different kinds of people they can meet, to being out there, and curious i that when i meet people who say i just have super super high standards and i never meet anyone who meets up to them lives up to them i always think that person is kind of massively dealing themselves out before they've even got in the game they're not allowing luck or surprise to hit them at all because Mm. lots of us have high standards lots of us want someone who has great values who is attractive and um, we feel chemistry with and who is intellectually curious interesting lots of us have that but but the people i know who tend to be good at dating or good at meeting people they are also they are open to like i'm gonna just see meet this person because i'm having fun with them and laughing and having chemistry and let's go on the date and see how it is like i'm enjoying this now let's go and talk to them let's like See what happens, and even if it might not be someone who immediately on paper is every checkbox, yeah. every checkbox. I want them to have this education and this height and this is their fashion sense and this is the kind of place they'll live. I think when you start going like that, you are not allowing that from that quote that that element of like the lightning bolt, the luck, the you know moment to hit you. I think you have to be a little more open and curious.
0: And I wonder if there's a distinction to be made here between perhaps wants and needs because as you said you know it's, it's a it's very common I think for people to have these now endless list of, of as you said check boxes mm-hmm. he's got to be this tall or she's got to be this tall or he's got to have this height or they're got to make this amount of money they've got to drive this car got to have gone here but really I mean the longest lasting relationships that that I've known in my in my real life that they, they talk about things like the kindness of the person. Mm-hmm. How attentive they are to them, or how uh, they deal with relationship conflict. I mean, I I haven't seen any empirical data that suggests that the height of a person is a good long-term predictor of a relationship. Right. Yeah. So, is there a distinction here to be made between wants and needs? Do you think? In
1: yes, I think that's correct. I think there's desirables and essentials. Yeah. To put it another way, I think. You know, because everything, it's okay to have wants. It's okay to have things that even other people don't find important in relationships, but you really do. It really matters to you. I'm all for people having their own personal standards of, like, knowing what I need to be happy with someone. And this is what will make me fulfilled in a relationship. But, again, I think i think a friend told me this once, and I think he put it really well, is that as you get more mature, your standards should become smaller but more precise mm. the things really really matter but they're not this 100 point checklist that you thought was so important and this is how long their hair is and this is <laughs> you know the 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 kind of dress they wear and you know again the height thing or the whatever all these things that you you really do try and rattle them off and people like i want them to have a phd because i have this degree and i want them to in this particular field biology but maybe not the arts or something <laughs> you know people got their their things um and you know look would i like someone to love all the same movies as me yeah that'd be great would i like them to have read some of the authors i love that'd be great um you know if they like oscar wilde or evelyn war that'd be lovely we could talk about that But then when you come to realise you have an actual person in front of you, you love the person because of their whole combination of... You know, they will have some of those traits you love, but they might not love the exact same things as you, but they have a massive intellectual curiosity that excites you. Maybe in a completely different thing than you have, but you teach each other and that's really fun. They might have a different energy to you because you thought, oh, I'm so mellow, I need someone mellow like me but maybe they're the energetic one and they're super extroverted and it works really well. And, you know, we socialize because of them because they're the super sociable one and she's also capable of hanging out and relaxing and we have a great time doing that as well. All these things its very, very complex and attraction. There are certain things you can do to be more attractive as a person, whether it's working on your self-confidence whether it's working on your life to have a life that someone would want to be a part of your communication being a better communicator um even just the way you flirt or express your sexual side or exciting side all these ways you can be more attractive as a personality but but the actual things that bring two people together are very complex and rely on so much of like the right fit of like just how are we day to day how are we when one, when we divide up chores together, are we like reasonable? Are we easy? Is this person easy to work with? How are we when one person uh, needs a bit of attention from the other person? Do they communicate in a in a positive, um, easy way, fun way? Or does it become like a two-hour drama? You know, John Gottman has this thing. The, the, he runs the Gottman Institute. Um, I think him and his wife do a lot of research on this. But, you know, he said you need like, a positive-negative ratio in your relationship of five positives for every negative interaction. And again, these are like behavioral things that you only know when you're really up close with someone is how do they respond to stress and problems and just what's their response to being frustrated. These are things you learn over time. So, so that whole thing of the checklist thing, I get it because we're all told we need standards and we all have standards i really i think as you get more mature again you might come to this more concentrated list let's call it of like if you want a family they have great family values or they're fundamentally loving and kind and i see them with their own family and they're loyal or whatever they they strive to make others happy they're uh maybe they're just able to have a positive attitude to challenges And they're fun and sexy and I'm attracted to them. And you might just have like a simple, and they're intellectually curious. And you might, you know, you might just have that as your fundamentals. You might be like, all the rest, it'd be nice, but it's all like, you know, someone's going to come with their own package.
0: You hinted earlier um, that, you know, there could be a guy that's out there that he's on the dating apps. uh, He's having a great time in in a single life, uh, you know, meeting lots of different people, but then a person will come along and for whatever reason, they may have this kind of, uh, you know, different set of traits that make the person then who had no intention, perhaps of settling down, suddenly say, actually, I'm going to put all that behind me. Have you kind of got any thoughts about what the, alchemy is of the person that can take a person like that off the date in market and say this is the person that I'm going to commit to? Have you thought about that?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think there are there, there is just an element of timing in this mm-hmm. and I think that's one thing we all have to accept is there is such a thing of great person, not the right time. Um, You could have someone who's great but is about to move their whole life to another continent. That's going to make it really difficult. Yeah. Even if they're great, that's a hard challenge. And are one of you willing to change that to make the relationship work? Um, you can have just different timelines for what you want. If it's marriage, children, those sorts of things. So there are those those things. There's a timing element. And and it might mean that no no amount of great person could sway that person from their course at this time. Um, I do think though, there are certain traits, there are certain things that, you know, if someone truly feels they, this relationship makes them feel truly free and seen, like they really can just be exactly who they are Mm. and feel seen and accepted for that. I think that can make it a lot more likely. Uh, I think if this person thinks this relationship doesn't hinder my goals, it can also serve them. And we're a team, and we achieve goals together. You know, lots of people worry this a relationship will derail this, or I can't fit a relationship in my life right now. But if you go, oh, this relationship actually enhances everything in my life. Like it makes it all like improved, and I the experiences are more fun and joyful because of it. And we, I even achieve more because this person inspires me, or we we do things together as a team, and we're stronger. And, you know, the actual person's values, unique combination of, you know, their values, chemistry, um, you know, you could say like attraction, respect, um, connection, some kind of unique connection. So these are the things that add up to long-term attraction. Um, But ultimately it's someone who feels, someone has to feel, does this relationship make me, more of who i am more of what i want more of what i strive for or is it something that pulls the wheel away from those things and creates new problems and makes everything harder and i think that's a really big thing if people can feel like oh i have a true solid teammate who accepts me you're way way more likely to have someone you know decide to commit
0: i had a friend that uh he was telling me that he was going to propose to his partner and we were we were talking about it, and he said to me that she made him feel like the ground beneath his feet was rock solid. And I think that kind of what he was hinting at was this I guess kind of completeness, the kind of security, the the kind of needs being met that I think that um you were talking about. But then I when I heard it, I, I I kind of understood it. But but it was interesting because he wasn't kind of going back to the point that we talked about earlier. You know, he wasn't saying, "I love that her hair was forty-one centimeters." Or, "I love that she made this much. It was it was talking about the security and talking about. Um, I, I think that he could just imagine spending his life together. Yeah, and I think that that kind of hints at perhaps a long-term thing that is not superficial. Perhaps.
1: Yeah, and it's like it's the way someone makes you feel when you're around them if it is understood if it is just we can just talk for hours or i feel at home with this person like we they have a feeling of home about them and and you know i i think all of those things go into it and it's actually a very grounded pragmatic practical things about how you live together like we yeah we love the roller coaster we love the romance we love the exciting bits but that really is that's a high When you like you fall in love, you it's all like emotional and drama and stuff. But but it's like you can't you know and that and that can feel like this very uppy up down volatile thing where it's like oh my god I need them so much when I'm not with them and I miss them and oh my god and we're like having so much fun and sex and everything. But but I do think when it they again I think some people as well want that forever or they get lost in that. And and when it's not emotionally up and down Spike, they go, well, this relationship must be flat and boring and it's mm-hmm. not like what I'm used to with my exciting, dangerous, sexy relationships. But again, there's a, there's a maturing in where you have to realize the thing that makes it work long-term is the grounded practical stuff. It is like how you're good at supporting each other, how you pick up some slack for each other or they help me with this or, you know they make this so much easier when I come home or they're so loving in these situations that are tough. And that sort of stuff where people are like, Oh, I can be with this person forever because I'm going to go through all that real shit in my life. That's the stuff that's going to happen to you. It's not going to be all like vacationing in Italy and <laughs> going on romantic dates. Like that's going to be in there. But yeah, it's, it's that bit where you have to actually live with a person who's going to be with you a lot of your life. I think David Brooks said, Marriage is a fifty-year conversation, mm. and he said, "Who do you want to have that conversation with?" You know, there's a lot of just hanging out, having conversation. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think as well, people who either struggled to stay in a committed thing or or hold on to someone, it's often that they kind of don't think about those those practical things that really keep someone that that make it work in terms of if you bring a lot of upset and drama every time something's wrong eventually someone's just like i can't i can't live with this i can't manage my life and deal with this volatile like up and down all the time we love each other we hate each other it's exhausting anyone who's been in a relationship like that knows man that it can drain you you have no peace you feel like you're walking on eggshells you feel like something's going to trip up because i'm going to say the wrong thing today and they're going to like blow up and we're going to have a 4 hour silent treatment and or 12 hour silent treatment and and you just that's when people are just like this person might have so many great qualities this person might be smart accomplished interesting uh sexy but i my peace i'll never have peace in this relationship and that's deeply undervalued
0: one of the things that, when you were talking about it, it made me think about was this idea about attraction. And I've seen many people go in relationship after relationship of horrible situations. Um, um You know, whenever they, they perhaps meet someone that, that seems like perhaps a better fit, they'll say, oh, they're not my type. Uh, and, you know, you start to think, well, you know, Your type, it kind of leaves you heartbroken, traumatized every time. And one of the things that kind of I was thinking about after kind of similar conversations on the podcast was I had a uh, kind of another uh, speaker about relationships and insights about relationships. And they said to me that if someone felt burning chemistry towards someone, like this intense attraction to the point, you know, you can't think during the day or you you're totally consume them. They said that should be a red flag. And I kind of wonder what your thoughts are about this idea that perhaps attraction in some ways may be overrated.
1: Mm. Well, I think you definitely need that animal attraction. You need that because I hear from women who I've coached who say the problem is, I think this is a great guy, but I don't feel Mm. enough of that animal attraction. And, you know, I've, I heard from a therapist once who said, who's a very renowned therapist in this area. And he said, you need, you need the flame early on of that attraction. You need to stoke those embers because, because naturally in a relationship at some point, you get some waning of that flame. Yeah. So it takes a lot, To keep that going anyway, so you need the initial flame. You need the initial flame, so you have something to stoke when you do. You know, when you do inevitably come upon those moments where you just get used to each other, you're, you know, not in that initial flush of romance and honeymoon. So I do, I do firmly believe you need some kind of animal attraction to begin with. I think the that feeling of like I can't stop thinking about them. I'm obsessed with them. I can't focus on anything else. Again, that I think that's okay if it's short-lived and it really is the initial like, oh my God, we want to spend all our time together because it's the first month or two and we're just crazy about each other. I think that's fine and great. But but I do think some people that again, talking we talked earlier about being, you know, addicted to dating apps. Some people are addicted to that mm. feeling or that moment. And they do it's not even about the individual it's they'll do that with nearly anyone they're into they'll become obsessed with anyone they feel some level of chemistry and connection with and that's when they you'll see people who go through these repeated stages of like this is the person they're obsessed with this year or this six months and they go beyond the point where it's healthy or that person's not even showing them the level of attention they that should be reciprocal, and they're still even more obsessed with them because that person's pulling away more. That's where it's like you are overrating attraction now, and you're underrating behavior, you're underrating their actual character, and that's where att- attraction becomes overrated when it just overshadows all the other obvious markers and that's why some people do go how do i just keep choosing the wrong people all the time it's like because you are addicted to this feeling and you chase it in spite of all other warning signs in spite of someone being totally inconsistent in spite of someone barely returning your texts and maybe not showing up when they say they're going to show up or just treating you in a way that feels disrespectful the way they communicate with you, they don't show like you're showing a lot of interest and curiosity. They never ask you about yourself. They're never actually interested in your life. They don't even care about being a part of your life or meeting your friends. And we'll just go, yeah, but the chemistry we have when we're together, the sex, the feeling I have with them. And it's like, you can actually, that tingly chemistry feeling you can have with a lot of people who are not good for you. And that's why it's, it's, it's not to be ignored, it's not to say I'll go for the person you don't feel any interest in but they're a good person. You need something but but I think people almost like getting addicted to a sugar high, they get addicted to that high
0: Have you watched the latest Barbie film yet?
1: It's only been out a couple of days as of this recording and I'm afraid I opted for Oppenheimer
0: first <laughs> so I'm, a sensible choice I, I'm afraid
1: I haven't yet that. but I, I will say
0: it's on the list <laughs> Yeah, so as you were talking, one of the things that I was thinking about there was during the scene, um, and I, of course, don't want to spoil it for anyone, but you've got Ken in the movie played by Ryan Gosling and then you've got Barbie played by Margot Robbie. And at one point in the film, Ken is pining over Barbie, who I think is fair to say she really does not see him kind of romantically at all. Uh, She says that she doesn't want to spend the night with him. Every night is girl's night. Um, And at one point I looked at Ken and he said a line in the movie, which got me thinking. And he said, I only exist in the warm glow of your eyes. And I looked at it and I thought, I, I worry about the romanticizing of something like this. You know, a similar thing, for instance, of James Bond uh to kind of uh, go the other way i mean you know this is kind of a man that in the movies is portrayed as you know uh, the kind of typical alpha male but in reality what would it look like to have james bond mm. as, as a partner i mean it would be a horrible situation And classical cases, I think, of people... I mean, he wouldn't be home much of a weekend. He wouldn't be home much. (laughs) it would be be in Monaco, uh, a a casino table. (laughs) And I just think that that these kind of things, they happen when attraction is overrated. Um, So I think that kind of perhaps those two, I think, highlight the, the point that perhaps we, as you said, we need a healthy dose of this animal attraction, but that can never come at the cost of the more deeper level, long-term traits, as we mentioned some of them earlier, that will actually drive a relationship forward.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. There is a real tradition, I guess, going back to romantic poetry, of romanticizing the pining, the unrequited love, the... The devotion that as much as we feel that's a painful, unpleasant thing, there's also a, when we see it in a movie, the person who's just longing for the woman who won't even give him the time of day and the romance of him striving to There's many movies, right? It's literally about a man just striving to get the attention of some cheerleader who doesn't know he exists or some popular girl or the superstar, you know? Um, And equally, um, I think for women, there can be a fiction that romanticizes going after the man who is super questionable in all kinds of ways, whether it's the Christian Grey Mm -hmm. and there's all these, like, warning flags. This guy is pretty emotionally unhealthy, super withdrawn, um, or, you know, the James Bond. I guess that's James Bond is for men as a fantasy, but, but there's like a, you know, there's a certain thing in fiction where there is, like, the questionable man, who a woman strives to win over and to change, and to tame him, or whatever it'll be. And I think you know, and then just heartbreak in general can be romanticized, or, or the, oh my god, this person doesn't know I exist, but I want to win them or win them back. And and I think we do have a like, there can be a very twisted addiction to that feeling as well because it can feel comfortable it can feel like maybe there's a safeness to it it's like an emotion you know and you're just safer just being devoted to someone who's not giving you the time of day um mm. or there's a you know there's an unhealthy feeling of well that person isn't interested in me so that must make them more valuable that must mean they're worth mm. pursuing because the person who's just was healthy, reciprocating, that's like boring, or that's not, you know, that why do they, you know, it's like the Groucho Marx line, I wouldn't want to belong to anyone that would have me as a member. Or any club that would have someone like me as a member. Some people feel like that way about love. If they love me, there must be something wrong with them. Or they must not be like such a prize. And I think the huge shift comes in your the massive, most important shift you could ever make internally would be to start liking people who like you not everyone who likes you but to start start taking it as a massive green flag and exciting when someone you like shows you reciprocal interest and they're excited about meeting up and they're positive about it and it's easy and it's just simple because you both want to meet each other and actively get disinterested when someone is flaky when someone plays games, when someone you can tell they're toying with you or they're they're blowing hot and cold, and then it's like a one word answer to the text that should be your sign to be like, "Okay, like you go have fun doing that over there. I know what this is. You can go have fun playing that game with some other person who loves that game, and you can both do your little like toxic thing together where you both play who's less interested." I'm going to go for something because anytime you go for something that's actually simple and someone just likes you and it worked, you go, Oh my God, this is what it's supposed to be like. Mm. Like the first time you have that, like, Oh my God, everything's actually simple. Like they say they like me and they like me. They want to meet up next weekend after our date because we had a great time. If you feel like you're having to do like Jedi mind tricks to (laughs) try and say the perfect combination of words to make sure someone wants to go on a date. It's like something's gotten messed up there. And do I want my life to be doing Jedi mind tricks? And and we all know there is a dance to attraction. Yes, it doesn't pay after a first date. People spilling their heart out. and But even that is inauthentic because you don't know the person. So it would probably be uh, inauthentic to spill your heart out. But everyone knows you if you offload all that on someone after a first date, it's going to be unattractive because it's going to be extremely needy. It's going to be intense. It's going to like scare someone off. But I'd rather, you know, the people where it's been like, I've been able to be upfront about, like, I haven't had to, you know, play these awkward little text games and all those things. All the relationships I've had that are great haven't started in that unhealthy scenario. And the ones that have either been bad or turned out to be not the right person or I didn't actually like their character, it was always, like, there was too much game playing. There was too much trying to, like, psychologically help chess move the other person and all of that is exhausting and i don't i think too many people get in the trap of thinking that's the way you have to like find a mate
0: and i think that one of the dangers with what you described you know where you get in chat gpt to try to draft your responses to a to a person trying to come up with the perfect text message wait in the perfect amount of time get involved in this little dance of of fighting essentially to get someone to kind Mm. of kind of see you is that we we start investing in it and when we invest in something when we have skin in the game it becomes kind of harder in the end to i guess get out of that cycle is that another problem where we can just perpetually get stuck in pursuing the wrong person because we have began investing in an already dysfunctional cycle
1: yeah, I I think as well. Some people because they haven't met someone they really like in ages. You meet the first people person you really like, and you go, "Oh my god, this never happens!" So yeah. you do suddenly get tunnel vision of like, "I gotta like capture this one because this doesn't happen enough." And and that's a scarcity mindset. That's also it happens if we don't have enough in our lives that excites us and that fulfills us in different ways. We suddenly pin everything on romantic love to solve everything. And I think that's when as well, people, you know, they think, oh, I'll be crushed if this person doesn't like me or if this person leaves. And it's okay to be upset something didn't work out. It's okay to be disappointed. That's normal. That shows you have a healthy emotional, you know, um, functioning emotions. But, But I think if you are suddenly getting sort of tunnel vision on someone it is almost a warning sign that you don't have enough because this person you don't know that well and they maybe they weren't even in your life a month ago and suddenly you're having like an extreme emotional reaction to them flaking or walking away or rejecting you and i always think of it like you know you want to be a train moving forward and you know you've got you've got a life that has many many interesting exciting things in it and if someone wants to get on board great like i'll come stop at the station and we can see and you can come (laughs) on but if you're not the train's going the train's moving and it's going to the next thing it's going to the next adventure it's going to the next thing and so again i think these these things can take time to build your confidence in in a way to truly internalize that but once you do it just doesn't Things can affect you without having to make you suffer for a long time. You can still have disappointment. You don't have to p- pretend to be like, Mr. Stoic, I don't even give a shit. Nothing affects me. It's bounces off. You can still have it like, it sucks. It sucks. I like that person. Or it was fun. I was having fun and then they just flaked or whatever. Like You can feel that, but you don't have to like internalize, take it on. It's a massive rejection of me. It, this is the only person I could have been with. That's all signs of a mutation and an unhealthy response to it.
0: One of the things that I would kind of love to go back to that you said, and I kind of got it in my mind, was this, I guess, romanticization of this unrequited love. And I go back to a couple of films, you know, you go back to The Notebook and you think early on in the film, I mean, Ryan Gosling literally dangling off a Ferris wheel saying, unless you go on a date with me, I'm going to throw myself off this Ferris wheel.
1: Yeah. So it's a, it's a tactic I've never tried myself, but I do <laughs> I remember in the film thinking that might not be the best note to
0: start the relationship on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I really don't advise people to, to do that. That's, and, that's yeah. piling on the pressure. Piling on the pressure. And you think about things like, you know, you mentioned the kind of Christian Grey. I mean, what what a way to, to set a benchmark for men? Right. Be gorgeous. Be a billionaire. Be great in bed. I mean, <laughs> for the people listening, that I'm mean, unfortunately, that is a very small demographic of people in the world.
1: Yeah, um, my brother said something funny about that once. He said, the author E.L. James clearly thought she's writing it and thought, well, hunky man, sexy, likes kinky stuff. He no a millionaire's not enough. He's got to be a billionaire just to make him super in the 1%. Just to make him super unattainable
0: as a man. He's a he's a billionaire who has private helicopters and money's yeah. no issue ever. Yeah, I am not even sure if if that is in the 1%. I I I think you would have to travel to a, another planet, uh, right. you know, you have to time travel to find something like that. Um but but it does kind of, you know, Give me asking because I'm really interested in narratives, and I think that storylines, storytelling, I think that it is so deeply rooted in our psychology. We love storylines, we love redemption arcs, we love things with a beginning, a middle, and an end. I to kind of tie this back to online dating. I think that is one of the problems with online dating is that I think there is kind of a lack of narrative there mm. than if we bumped into each other on a random holiday and kept in contact. And then somehow we, we met again. I, I think there's kind of a, a, more of a narrative that way. But in terms of the unrequited love, I'm, I'm interested in what you think the reasons are why we do kind of romanticize it. Because I, I, again, I hear it all the time. These, these things, you know, people say things like, if I don't have to suffer for the relationship, then i'm not interested if it doesn't come uh so you know if it doesn't come easy to me or sorry if it doesn't come hard then i'm not interested mm. if i don't have to graft a, a word i got to say i loathe then i'm not not interested yeah you know, so so what is it about that why psychologically do we do that
1: yeah i think i think when we i think again there has been a lot of narratives that have shown us if you just if you just want them enough if you just pine enough like maybe your devotion will win them over and and there's a lot of like there's a lot of romantic stuff in fiction that doesn't often play out in real life and people do get seduced by it like if i'm just persistent enough and just show them with the massive gesture the grand gesture you know what's the classic uh, 80s movie with the is it anything else the guy holding the radio
0: the boombox. Uh, the boombox
1: outside her bedroom <laughs> yeah. window. You know, a lot of guys end up with a call to the police when they do that. Um, so I think I think there is always there has been a, a sort of sense like if you just want it, if you just chase it enough, if you just like show that prove your love enough to them. I mean, there's going back to like courtly love, um, there's that Keats poem, La Belle dame sans mercy, like the beautiful woman without mercy. You know, there's there's all these poems about like courtly love and knights who approve their devotion and equally you've got like sleeping beauty waiting in the tower for the prince to come and or or just like yeah or like you say the woman trying to like win or seduce or tame the unattainable man who has it all and and um i think we love it i think i think we do have that feeling of the prize We have to fight for. And you do, like you say, the narrative. It feels like true love is won like a trophy. And you went through the trials and you had to, you know, best the competition. You had to be chosen out of anyone else. And, you know, maybe there is that feeling you feel special for it. Like I did something that showed them I was the only person for them who was right for them. And, you know, we—that's why we love at the film the person who does all the trials and then eventually wins them their heart because oh my god, they've they've been through it all, they've changed, they've had to grow. Um, and I don't think there's something there, there are certain noble qualities mixed into that. I just think that when you actually boil it down to what it it cashes out as in our lives, it just then it often ends up with I I have coached again hundreds of women. I know many women who have had unrequited love for an ex for years, years, who has never shown them the treatment they deserve, who has treated them, you know, some cases appallingly, some cases just has chosen other people instead of them or has used them or has flown into their life and then flown out again. And they'll say they'll have a romantic attachment to like it will never be like it was with them though Mm. no one will ever live up to them that's the love of my life even though that person's totally unattainable now or or has not shown them behavior i always think well the there's something firstly something deeply sad about never deciding to move on because i do think moving on is a decision eventually i think it isn't there's a choice at some point to live in the past there's a choice choice at any point to live with one failure some people let one failure define their entire life from there that business failed that relationship that i i didn't achieve that dream of uh, i don't know making movies or something and so i'd never be a success but the people who are happy in life are the people who are able to put chapters behind them and find something great out of what they have now like i'm going to make this into something new and different and you'll meet someone new They won't be the same. It'll be a different kind of love that's special because it's unique with that person. It's not going to recreate what you had with that person because it's not fair to do that. It's a different person. It's a different relationship. So you're being unfair to yourself and to anyone new in your life. And you're also getting stuck in a fantasy that if you could kind of like right those wrongs or make that fix or do the right thing, that person, it would work out or it would have... But again, like going back to overvaluing attraction, you might just be overvaluing the fact you've now idealized them. And that's not even who they are. People do that all the time, by the way. That's part of our narrative building, is people often get an unrequited love because they have a completely false picture of someone. They have blown their great qualities out of all proportion and completely ignored the (laughs) things that make that person a nightmare. And they've saint. They basically deified them or made them a saint, and they don't look at them with sobriety and go, like sometimes. And sometimes again, I, when when we've coached women over a period of time, they have looked back eventually and gone, "Oh my God, I cannot believe I gave so much time to that person. I cannot believe I let them have that power over me. I cannot believe I spent so long thinking that they were the key to my happiness." But we are, we are good narrative builders, and we can get hooked on old stories and the best way to get rid of an old story is to start a new one because humans love stories and the best thing is to actually change the narrative in your life to this is how i let go of that old part of me that was attached that's how i let that part die and grew back bigger that's what you do you you know my This boxing coach i knew always used to say like kill your ego a bigger person comes back from the dead every time um yeah
0: yeah one of the things that i think is one of the great tragedies of dating of romance um is i guess that for everything there is an arc you form a relationship the relationship grows and then In some way, the relationship will end. Either I guess you die together or you break up. And one of the things I think that I would kind of love to ask you is that one of the, I guess, most psychologically traumatizing experiences within a relationship is if someone has had a relationship and the relationship ends, and they feel like that was my person. That was my soulmate that I've lost. That I'm never gonna get back. There's no one else out there for me. That was my person, and it's now over. Yeah, um, and they may have self sabotaged. I'm not. I'm not. You know, going to speculate on why the relationship ended, but they feel fundamentally that they lost. They are human. Mm. What would you say to the person that feels like they have lost the one? I think to feel that.
1: It is understandable. It's completely understandable. You can have had the greatest love you've ever had, and you feel like, well, I don't have that anymore. That's been ripped away from me. Maybe by choice, maybe not. And it's it's normal to feel some level of grief over that. What I would say is to think that's the only Feeling of that love you're ever going to have again is really underestimating the capacity of the human heart for love. Mm. Our capacity for love is actually quite unbounded. Like we can, it's astonishing how people can love again after going through the most terrible losses. Again, I, I through my coaching, I've I've been lucky enough to see people's progress over many years, and people who did really feel like I've given up. This is it for me. Some people just feel like I'm not going to be able to meet anyone new because I was in a 20-year, 30-year marriage and I'm 55 now and maybe this is it. Maybe that's game over for me. I've seen those people go on to have the most, to start new relationships, who've written to us saying, I didn't think this could ever happen again and I've met a wonderful person, a wonderful man. And we're going to build a life together and we're going to go traveling and we're doing this. And and so that's not me to sell this fairy story of like, oh, it's all just going to work out. But I think that this idea of the one really gets people stuck in a cul-de-sac, in a, in a place where they're like, fearful. Maybe that was it for me. That was my one. That was my love. And I've heard these theories before. Some people say you get three great loves in your life and that's it and it's like have i had my three great loves already is that it and and again even just looking at my own life okay i'm a relatively young man but i've had times where i've had horrible breakups and i thought like how am i ever gonna get over this person how am i ever gonna move on from them and and you think about them every day and you can't eat and you can't sleep and you might think about them months and months and months after the relationship, but. But you do eventually realize, it's like, wow, I've actually healed my heart several times. I have patched myself up. I've found someone new and fallen for them completely anew. And it's been a new relationship with new excitement to learn about them and different dynamics. And And it's like, oh my God, I did it again. I am in love with someone new and it happened. And again, I think that's when you approach life with an openness, realizing like my capacity for love is actually quite enormous. It actually you can love many people you have many di- it's like it's like saying I've had this I've got this many friendships in my life and my heart has no more room <laughs> to love anyone else again it's like that's not true your capacity for friendship is endless like you can you can love so many people in your life and have connections and so I I think the one is something you choose the one is the person you decide like this is who my brother talks about it my brother matthew talks about it as building a castle this is the person i'm gonna build a castle with i'm this is the person i'm loyal to this is the person we're gonna um look out for each other we're gonna be in love we're gonna build a life we're gonna give affection to each other take care of each other's needs that is a decision and so you can lose someone really really special but i don't think in any cosmic sense there is this one chosen person when you arrive on Earth, and that's it. I mean, what if you never met that person? What if they live in, I don't know, um, New Zealand, and you never go to New Zealand? <laughs> so your one was in New Zealand, in Wellington, and you never went to Wellington, so you didn't meet the one. It's it's no, I actually find the encouraging answer is is way more optimistic because it's like, look, people, find, people seem to find true love Wherever they are. It's remarkable the amount of people who do it.
0: A coincidence.
1: Yeah. Everywhere. <laughs> London, Rio de Janeiro, <laughs> Paris, wherever you are, you know, it's people manage to find it. And actually our capacity for finding love is quite amazing, really. Um, because if it was so, so rare and impossible, you wouldn't most most people fall in love in their life. Most people find some kind of love in their life. So, I'm actually very optimistic about people's resilience in that area. But it is a choice. You sadly can choose to remain in the past or in an old relationship that's long died. And you can choose to stay there forever. Some people do. Mm. And, you know, it, if you want to actually, if you do think I'm here on this earth for a limited time and I want to give more love and have more connection. You at some point have to decide that's enough now. Enough. I've given enough energy. I'm not going to recreate that. I've given enough energy to that person now. And now it's time to put my energy somewhere where it's
0: returned. One of the things that I become uh, very interested in is the reactions that people have to breakups. And going through the the literature on it, uh, the kind of neural signatures that underlie social rejection, they seem to activate the same regions of the brain that are active during physical pain. Uh, People talk uh, that, for instance, going through a breakup, it kind of activates craving pathways in the brain, similar to, for instance, someone going through a a drug withdrawal, for many people, I suppose, you know, outside of death, bereavement, you know, loss of a loved one, it can be, I guess, one of the most painful traumatizing experiences that someone can go through. You talk there about, you know, at some point you have to make the decision. You can no longer keep revisiting the ghosts of the past. The unfortunate thing, I guess, about breakups is that they really can have a – A knock-on effect. You could be in bed with the next person, and yet, you know, your your partner can still be there with you. Obviously, not 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 physically, but they can still be there. Mm -hmm. So, I wonder, for the person going through the depths of of heartbreak, of despair, what are the things that they can do to eventually get themselves to the point to say, "Enough, no more." It's time to. It's time for the train to leave the station again.
1: Yeah, I. Again, I totally sympathize. I've been there myself. I know it intimately, and I know it's when it first happens, it is just like the world's caved in. You know, I it's, it's silly in a in a uh, flippant way I compare it to that bit in The Dark Knight Rises where uh, Bruce Wayne is thrown down to that enormous pit. And it's just dark. It's, you know, horrible. There's like demons in there and Somewhere the lights up there, but you're like, how will I ever scale this wall to get up there again? How will I ever climb out of this? And and I think you have to be very, you have to be loving to yourself in that moment. You can't live in, you know. A lot of people get stuck as well in here's the mistakes I made, here's the ways maybe I should have been different, maybe I could have kept them if this happened or. You know, or someone made a mis- Maybe someone cheated, and you know, ended the relationship. And did I cause it, or did I do it, or whatever? But eventually, you've got to go through a process of turning that self-loathing into self-love, and saying that I'm worth. Whatever mistakes have been made, on mine or their part, I have to be loving to myself in this moment. Like I am my own patient right now, and. I am going to treat myself like someone, how would I help my best friend recover? And I always talk about the difference between the hangover model of recovery and the athlete model of recovery. Hangover model of recovery, junk food, uh, mindless sitting in front of the couch all day, uh, treating yourself like shit, feeling bad, slobbing around, never having a shower. You know, you can have your little hangover period for a bit, fine. We've all been there. You can have your little hangover period. But then it is time to have the athlete model of recovery. And that means, okay, if you have an injury as an athlete, maybe I can't do this with my arm right now. But you know what? I can take care of the other parts of my body. I can stop myself from atrophying. Maybe I just work what I can work today. And that might be getting a walk in some fresh air. That might be just doing something to move your body. That might be saying, I'm gonna start to take take on some responsibility again in my life so that I have things beyond this relationship that matter to me. Think other things purpose beyond this. Uh it might just be the way you support yourself. Like there are groups of people that are helpful to be around after a relationship. You're I call them like there's like the people who give you joy. There's the people who just like they're the ones who will take you out to have fun. You'll laugh in their company. There's your sage counsel. That might be the people in your life who <laughs> will listen, go to for some wisdom. They'll Because there's some people in your life who are not helpful after a breakup. Yeah. And they can make you feel worse. And
0: I know those. Right. It, it, and,
1: <laughs> and it might be family, my close friends. You'd be like, this person's going to make you feel shit. Or it's just going to be worse and worse, like rubbing salt in the wound. And you don't want to rub salt in the wound right now. So you might have like who brings me joy, who brings me fun, who just loves me and just cares about me no matter what, with no agenda, and and you start to build that support around you. That doesn't mean now you're still gonna you know you could be with those people, you could be at Disneyland, you could be having a great you know uh, on paper a great time, and still feel heartsick, and you can still feel like I'm still thinking about them all the time. But you know what you have you have some support, you have some respite you're not just alone in self-torture feeling worse and worse about yourself your confidence plummeting you're 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 seeing life again and you're feeling like you're participating in the world again that's important um and there's things you just shouldn't do like going over old photos uh going back over all your text messages reaching out um Constantly checking in with each other on your day, uh, going through whatever, all all the things that are just rubbing salt reminders. That's the last thing you need right now. All of it will just keep resetting the clock and setting you back. So, those are some things you have to do as well. And then there's just there's just like managing your energy. There's managing what are you waking up and connecting to each day. Like you setting your intention each day, even if it's for the smallest thing. Like, I'm going to do something for my body, something for my work, or or just contribution, and something with people. And if you even just start treating them as like my three little checkboxes for the day, you'll inch towards feeling, okay, there's life beyond this. There's something beyond this person. One other thing that does help. And this is something that Guy Winch, who's a great, great expert on breakups, uh, definitely recommend his TED Talk, all about how to heal your broken heart. It actually does help to sit and write down and remind yourself of all the things that made this relationship difficult, of all the, even just for now, write down the worst qualities this person had, the things that you thought, I can't live with that. Why can't I live with that? Why is that something I feel is not what I want? In my relationships and have that as your go-to reference point because you'll just forget that you'll idealize them you'll go well they were the only person going to made me happy and sometimes you have to go back and go oh yeah i wrote down here's five things like they always complained whenever i did this they never made it easy for me to express an honest opinion without like turning into a fight they whatever they criticized me anytime i tried to do something Whatever it is, and and you can just have that as your. You need to keep jogging your memory on why this actually you, and on all the things that are great right now about you having room for someone else in your life. You have to keep having reference points to go back to.
0: And I suppose if you adopt the belief that there is not just one person for you, you know that that your person is is you know conveniently here in your village and not in wellington as you said i guess that does make it easier in some ways at least because if you do have the belief that there is just one person and suddenly you've lost them then i guess cognitively there is no point to then go and try again so if you adopt that belief at least i guess that could help in some ways yeah yeah absolutely um one of the other things i would love to kind of mention is uh when, when you're talking about breakups and when i was thinking about this i think back to a friend I had. Uh, going back, probably it'd be probably about eleven years, and he went through a breakup, first love type. I think he was about three months post breakup. I think he'd really been following kind of from what I remember, a lot of the the athlete methods that you talked about, but the you know trying to go to university, studying for exams, this, that, and the other. And I remember distinctly him making some progress, and then he went on a kind of a party and holiday. And in this one week, I think that it's fair to say that the guy basically had somewhat of a breakdown. Mm. And I, in speaking to friends, I think that what it sounded like was that on this one week, there was a lot of alcohol, but also if you go to one of these places, um, you kind of see people really at their worst. You see people throwing up in the streets and you see uh you know very kind of um you know unfiltered behavior of you know typically very young people there's hormones in the all kinds of things happen and i wonder if that is kind of something that we could perhaps think about because i guess most people they go through a breakup what do they do they they rush to a nightclub or they rush to the local bar but i but The problem with that is is that you do typically see people at the worst. It's not as if you're going for a hike in your local hills and Mm -hmm. everyone's saying hello and good morning to you. Is that something that perhaps we should be cognizant of?
1: I think, yeah, like once you start introducing areas where there's drink, people are getting out of their minds, and people are there to like, you know, just meet someone, be promiscuous, whatever, be debauched or whatever in one of these like things. I think it can inevitably just make you feel more acutely like what you don't have right now where you're like, I had this lovely relationship. <laughs> it was like cuddling in bed and everything. And it's like, um, in the film swingers, John Favreau is trying to get over his relationship. And he's like, you know, Vince Vaughn's taking him to Vegas. And he's like, why do I want to see a bunch of club girls in Vegas when they're like, not, not half as good as my girlfriend that I just broke up with. <laughs> and that's what he's feeling. It's like, he he's like, well, I'm just going to compare and feel worse and yeah. and i think there can be this thing of we um it can be like the first person you get with after your relationship can make you feel terrible like if you do go out and meet someone and you know um have a bit of fun someone could just feel terrible the next day because they just feel like oh god i just feel like it's just reminded me of everything i don't have right now and no. i didn't need to do that i didn't really want to do it but you know so so I think, again, you gotta you got to like be kind to yourself. You've got to allow yourself. Some of that is just trying to numb yourself. Like, I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to try and meet someone else. It It doesn't really, it can be a way of not really dealing with the fact that you're feeling pain. And sometimes it's like, you've got to actually sit with the fact that you're in pain. And that's okay. Like, when I'm talking about this recovery stuff, I'm not being drill sergeant and saying, just suck it up and don't acknowledge it. It's just part of working with the fact that your emotions are tender, your emotions are delicate. So you you wanna like not prod the wound. You want to start healing. But you still need to like just having one conversation about the fact that you're in pain doesn't solve it. You might need to have the same conversation with your friend three times and you'll still say, God, I still miss them. I'm still thinking about them. And they'll talk to you again. Or you like you think, Oh God, I really want to call them. So again, you have to allow for the fact these things come in waves. It doesn't just, like, fix instantly because you did the right thing. And yeah, maybe there is, like, living a... Like, you can. the club's always there. You can go. So it's (laughs) like, you can go if you want. But you can... Maybe it is time to, like, mix it up and be like, maybe I need to do some more wholesome things. Maybe I need to go to, like, I don't know, go meet some people at an exhibition opening instead something a bit more like wholesome go to a lecture in my town go to like some event that's just a bit more like neutral not about drinking and just oh when i meet different people it jogs a different part of my brain and it's something like oh those are interesting that's that's something to like hold on to and yeah i i i don't think often I'm not like anti-alcohol or anything, but I don't think throwing that in, there's really a situation where I can say that's going to help it at this time. Um, throwing in like getting drunk and just hooking up. Yeah, it's it's probably just going to, if anything, neutra- uh, best neutral, but possibly just make you feel worse and make you just miss someone more.
0: And I suppose if we have a kind of idea that when we go through this breakup, our ex is suddenly going to be the best person ever in our minds Mm -hmm. and we can take that knowledge and i guess we can say you know kind of to my friend's point that perhaps if we know that inevitably for a short period we are going to be comparing them to other people that perhaps we should at least give someone new a fighting chance and as you said go to places where people perhaps are at their best Mm -hmm. the libraries the exhibitions the hiking in the hillside as opposed to perhaps you know the 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 other stuff that, yeah yeah that's <laughs> the, right the darker side. Um so Matt, I would love to kind of ask you uh because I think we've kind of covered, you know, I guess the the early attraction, uh we've talked about you know the online dating, we've talked about the one uh, and breakups. And one of the things I think that perhaps is is interesting for me is if someone is gonna move on with their lives, they've I guess just come out of the pits of heartbreak. And they've, they've, they've said themselves enough is enough. And they've, they've gone on a date with someone whether that's through online dating or, you know, they've, they've met someone in, in some other way, a spontaneous way. They've gone on a date with them. They still, they, they come out of the date. They think it was, it went well, but they're not sure whether they should see them again. Hmm. Are there perhaps any questions they could ask about whether they should then go on another date with that person?
1: I think deciding to go on a second date, partly, it, I, th- I think it's quite simple. I think it's, did I have fun in their company? Did I see any glaring red flags or things that mean this is not a person I want in my life? Um, and do I feel like there's something beyond just like, again, depending on what your goals are, but let's assume you want maybe something more than just a hookup, do I feel like there's some actual unique connection here? Like, was I having fun in their company? Do I feel like there's some unique connection? And were there any glaring red flags? And I think if you can answer them, you're pretty safe to go on another date because you're not really, it's, it's upside if it works out. And if it doesn't, you can always pull back. You can always say, you know, just try two, three dates and say, yeah, maybe the chemistry is not quite as what I thought it was. But I think, on a first date as long as you come away with a positive I was enjoying myself and like spend more time with them I think you're mostly going to benefit from having another date
0: And you mentioned kind of red flags but they I I kind of feel like this has become such a a, a popular topic to talk about Um yes it has Yes uh, do you have any idea what why what are your thoughts on France, why it has become um <laughs> so popular to discuss
1: I think people do love trading their dating horror stories people (laughs) love trading their their insights their observations um you know and and you know it's fun to kind of pick out like what what are the universal things like they said this phrase or they um yeah whatever they didn't didn't offer to pay the check or they didn't like do this when we enter they said this to the waiter you know they didn't say please you know we we love like finding our little algorithms and rules um for dating some of them can get extreme where people have extremely pernickety red flags that are about nonsense you know there was this whole thing in uh uk about the ick yeah yeah. uh and it's literally be like you know what would it be it, w- it would literally be like he wears a jean jacket and it gave me the ick or it would be like yeah. he wore a purple scarf and he it bends down
0: the, to tie his shoelaces. He bends down
1: to tie his shoelaces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or he like, when he was crossing the road, he did a little run. He did a little dad run as he crossed the road to get across the road because a car was coming. That gave me the ick. And it's like, wow, this is going to be, it's going to be a hard job finding dead. love if, uh, if you're focused on the ick. Um, yeah. So so I think we just enjoy coming up with these rules and and, you know, quick heuristics
0: to decide whether someone's right or not. I think the problem with I guess kind of romanticizing, you know, the echo red flags is that if we spend all of our time distinctly focused, go and look in for the problems in others, we are bound to find it. Um, you know, you compare that to someone that kind of is looking for the good in others but also you know the, if, if the other person presents a red flag i think that's very different to you know one that someone has specifically gone out looking for
1: i totally agree and i think your lens when you it's like someone who's cynical and miserable about people like if you, someone is misanthropic and genuinely looks for all the selfish motives in people that person just sees assholes and users and manipulators everywhere hmm. and they think everyone has an ulterior motive and everyone is secretly out to like you know stab you in the back it and and again the people i know who have amazing social relationships they have a warmth where everyone they meet there's like oh there's something interesting there's something interesting about that person there's something to learn from them instead of like no one's smart enough no one's good enough no one's interesting enough Again, the red flags thing if you have all these like invisible tests on a date, you are completely in the wrong focus. Like, your focus really should be like, was I laughing? Was I having a good time? Did we have great conversation? Did I find them attractive? You, you know, if nothing else is like glaringly wrong, then you're kind of in a good thing. You're in a good thing. And I think a lot of people do these weird self sabotage, or it's saying like we go back to online dating. Yeah. Why do so many people get addicted to it? Because they think it's like it's like a buffet, and no one's quite there. Uh, not quite wrong eyebrows. Uh, I don't like the nose ring. Uh, not that you know, and everyone's got infinite choice. Like oh, it's infinite; it never runs out. But if you're a par- if you're at a party, if you were just at an event, you might just be like, oh, there's ten interesting, attractive men or women here. I'll go and like talk to some of them. You wouldn't be like nope, uh, don't like the parting on their hair, don't like quite that, you, you'd just be like, these are the people in the room, so I'm going to talk to them and see, oh, actually, I spoke to like Beth and he's super interesting, like, I, it wasn't my type, but, like, we were talking, and I just, like, something about him, is really like, because you see the way they move, they interact, they their voice, their everything, so again, yeah, you go in looking for reasons to reject people, that's what's going to happen.
0: I think that perhaps there's also something to be said there where if you have infinite choice, for instance, as you mentioned, on a dating app, you could be on a date and then, I guess, in your mind thinking, you know, "Oh, I, I had 200 other matches or I could have been doing that. I, I seem to remember someone telling me about an experiment involving some jam in which uh, they went to supermarkets and they, I think at one supermarket they just offered people four different types of jam. And uh, in another supermarket, they offered people like 32 mm. different or something, different types of jam. And the, the people that had the, just the four different types of jam, they bought more of the, the jam and they said they were much more satisfied with it in comparison to the people that had all these other choices, because I imagine they probably have the jam, going. Oh, what about jam 15 or jam 23? Mm-hmm. Is there perhaps some constraints that we could perhaps consider to, I guess, try to deal with that infinite choice that that kind of is around
1: yeah i do remember that experiment i think it was a malcolm gladwell one that he he definitely talked about it before and it was like the problem of choice the paradox of choice the more choice you have the harder it is to choose something um i do find that in so many parts of my life like when i go to it's like when you go to a Chinese restaurant, the menu is yeah. always enormous. Yeah, yeah. It's like pages yeah. and pages and pages. And some restaurants, there's four things. And you're like, oh, I guess I have the salmon. Like, fine. And the Chinese restaurant, you're like, well, there's like 50 dishes that look interesting that I'd like to try. Um, I I used to be bad at decision making. Actually, I now consider myself very, very good at it. I'm pretty... I'm, I don't really have FOMO. I don't worry about, like, the... The dish I miss. I don't worry about if if I think some someone is awesome. I I suppose I think you have to just be you have to be where you are. Part of it is learning how to be present in what you're doing. Part of it is realizing it's all a trick, like it's all a trick, an illusion. Even the the idea on dating apps, there's infinite choice, is an illusion. It you know because bunch of those people aren't interested in you. A bunch of those people are completely not right for you. Yeah. A bunch of those people you wouldn't want to spend five minutes with. If you actually saw them out somewhere, <laughs> you go, "Oh my god, I've never gone yeah. date with that person." And then there's a mixed bag of some people you'd think are okay, some people you would be interested in, but it's it's all a trick. And in a way, that's also true of I don't have some dog in the fight of whether people should get into a monogamous commitment forever or not. I, I think different things work for many different people. Um, but, like, the thing that stops people ever choosing is kind of, it. if they want monogamy eventually, is kind of an illusion. They think, they they might have hooked up with people many, many times before, but they think the 101st one is going to be different. It's going to be a different experience to the other 100 hookups I have. And it's, it's a fallacy. It's just a, it's a myth of, there'll be something that's not like i've experienced before on the other side of this and i think there's a thing in mathematics called the optimal stopping problem in behavioral science where i think it's like once you've turned over enough cards you're you're supposed to basically stop on the next like the next thing that seems good to you like is like 8 out of 10 right you should just stop because you're not you're going to keep turning them over thinking you'll get something different or like i I, again i'm explaining that badly but if you look up the optimal stopping problem it's basically the idea that people think they have to just keep turning over new cards because they're going to get something better but you're better at some point just saying well i've been on 50 dates now (laughs) like the, the next person who's really great i should like actually give more time like invest in and as well you don't learn like until you invest If you never invest in someone, you're never going to actually learn the depth of the relationship and how it works with you actually being together. You have to eventually make a choice to even see how it is. Because if you're always just going on the first three dates with someone, you've always just got this superficial idea of what it's like. But you haven't actually experienced the richness of a relationship, the actual feeling of what it is to love someone beyond that and you're just in the honeymoon period all the time which is kind of fake and not real so so yeah i think um i think people do get caught in that trap though but you to make any anything any richness in life eventually comes from committing Mm. you want to do that project eventually you're going to have to cut off other things eventually you want to write that book you're going to have to cut off the 10 other books you were interested in writing you're going to have to make this your baby for now and you're going to have to commit to it but that's where all the growing is all the growing is in when you commit to things when you actually make some decisions and decide this is what i'm going to put energy into the things you put tiny amounts of energy into it ends up with superficial you know investment
0: yeah i i always think about the rumi quote where he said a thousand half loves must be sacrificed to take one true love home and i kind of do think that for the people that are just say for instance going on three dates i think that it does kind of miss a fundamental fact of human psychology and that is that when we invest into something inevitably we will then kind of develop feelings more and more Mm
1: -hmm. you know it's
0: kind of like takes me back to the stephen covey stephen covey thing where he talks about you know love is love the noun is created by love the verb is that you know if your relationship has has lost the spark, lost the desire to love, to then go back to the basics of turning up to invest in. And then inevitably that there is something psychological about it, but we like the things that we invest in. Yeah. Um I wonder if you had perhaps any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, and and we get that anything in my life that I the, the things I look back on. Speaking of narrative, in the narrative of my life, the things that stick out to me are the things where I really put time and energy into them and cared about them deeply. It's not the things that were like, you know, one small thing that lasted a week or I had a little dalliance where I tried to write a screenplay and then abandoned it or something. It's like, or or you tried stand up comedy one time. It's like, no, the things that stand out to me are like, I put a huge amount of time into a PhD. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, you know, at times it was like, mentally, it breaks you. Like, it's like you go through a whole cycle with it. Um, I wrote a book with my brother in my early 20s. That was extremely stressful at the time. It was scary, but I put an immense amount of work into it and deeply cared about it. And that went on to be a bestseller. And it was a huge moment for us. And, and it's like I'll always have that that that's, there's an emblem of that investment that mm. exists the best relationships I've ever had again are the ones that stand out to me where I learnt the most, I grew the most are all the ones because we spent a few years together and you learn things you would never have learnt without it, like I wouldn't learn some areas where I can be an arsehole wouldn't learn some areas where I'm like wow I'm too selfish there or some areas where I'm very good. I'm like oh I'm actually a good partner there. I'm very like caring of, of those things. You will not learn those things unless you actually invest and are committed to something. And I remember uh, I mean less on relationships but I remember Warren Buffett and Bill Gates both challenged each other once to write down the one word that they thought counted for most of their success and they both wrote the same word which was focus. When they decided to focus on something they do well or you know not try and entertain a hundred different options that was the thing that built something lasting and successful
0: less but more and there's a number of great books that i love on this you know the one thing gary keller essentialism uh, greg mckeon um what, one of the things that i i would love to pick up on that that you said and i think that speaking to friends particularly friends that have been in relationships for a long time and I th- I think that it relates to this topic because I think people that inevitably they go through the the relationship life cycle. They start off, they have the raging hormones. The relationship kind of develops. They they commit to each other, and for whatever reason, life gets in the way. And then after a while, they report that, for instance, the spark has died. And I wonder, just from what you were saying, but there. You know, is the spark dying inevitable, or is it perhaps, in fact, due to the case that perhaps we're just not doing the things that then that led to the spark being created? I wonder what your thoughts are.
1: Yeah, I think you know, relationships. Every relationship has its own complexities and experiences that happen, and people bring their baggage to them. I think the spark often it's not something that definitely something not just that lasts on its own mm. you really do have to you know there's elements in relationship of yes there's dependability there's trust there's you know loyalty and all these things but there's also you need elements of still surprising each other and i don't mean like giving a surprise gift now and then i mean like actually like seeing that person in a new light seeing what that person spread their wings in a certain way or grow or mm oh, wow, I had them pigeonholed as this, but actually I never saw them as someone who could do, I don't know, I saw them public speaking and saw them in a completely new way. I saw them um, start, I don't know, they started a business or they worked on a brand new creative project and they did something I never thought, I'd never seen that side of them or their music or whatever. They did something caring for charity, volunteering, just being able to see your partner being a moving object being someone who's not in stasis who's not like i know everything this person's going to do today and nothing's ever gonna you know surprise me or be interesting um i'm big at like learning like i'm an obsessive learner when you learn stuff all the time you always have something new you're bringing to the table you're always like here's i learned this new interesting idea today i was reading this and I've, I went saw this person and they taught me about blah, blah, or I'm working on, I've learned all this stuff about, I don't know, computer programming today. Or I went and learned something when I was doing this podcast I'm building or blah, blah. Um, You're always like coming in and bringing this variety, this new energy. And, and it's not that I think everything is about like you have to, you know, there, there's a room in a relationship for just knowing who someone is and loving the fact that that's who they are. They don't have to go and do a hundred hobbies to, to surprise you, but there is a commitment to, I care what I care that you, that this doesn't just get stale and become the same thing all the time. I might really pay attention to your needs. So I don't just go, a lot of people just say, well, I love this way and that's how I love. (laughs) But it might be your partner needs a different love. Maybe love for them is you both spending a Sunday together, um, doing something in the garden together, or you know, working on a project, or going visit some interesting site in your town. Maybe their version of love is very different to yours. And so you need to also, I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention to what you need and not just loving in the way that I love. Mm. I think a lot of relationships go stale when two people are just, They're both craving their own thing. I want this from the partner, but neither of them are giving it to each other. It might be, I need more affection. I need you to touch me more. I want you to say these things to me. I want you to like spend quality time together. I, you know, surprise me or whatever. And and both of you are in this stalemate. And um and I think that that just takes it takes just thoughtfulness. It's not that it's so much effort. It just takes like paying attention to each other. And paying attention to like, how can I give this person a little more of what they need today from me? But you also have to give each other slack as well. Give each other slack that they're not going to get everything right first time. And we're going to have to communicate a lot on it. We're going to have to like tell each other, educate each other on what we like and want. And that's a whole process. But I think couples get stale when they just, they think that stuff is just, that should just be, part of our connection anyway they should just fall into place
0: yeah i think you you touched on an excellent point there in the sense that probably what is a giant killer of relationships is that my partner wants to be loved in this way uh you know they want the quality time they want the affection the the you know the lazy sundays but how i want to love them is by going out and making them a a gorgeous Italian dinner. Right. Or I want to, you know, uh, surprise them with a big night with our friends. Mm -hmm. So does that take self-awareness or or perhaps even just having good communication skills between two people to know how does this person want to be loved? Is, Is that what it takes?
1: Yeah, I think it does really take, look, if there's one thing, you can work on more than anything in relationship change your life it is your communication skills being able to actually communicate what you need and want and in a way that is is loving and doesn't just sound like nagging or doesn't just sound like complaining but actually both of you can sit and talk about the relationship Mm. and how am, am i what's frustrating you about this right now what Am I doing that you really like? What do you want more of? Or, you know, do you, like, in the bedroom, there's couples who don't even communicate about what they're liking and not liking. They're just hoping their partner will mind read. Or, oh, I like it. I don't like it when they do that, but we just do it. Or I like it when they do that. Like, say what you want more of. Yeah. Positive reinforcement. People love to know they're getting something right. And so many people, when someone stumbles over getting it right, we don't acknowledge it. And we don't say, hey, like, I just noticed that you like, I know you took out the trash without asking and it really made me feel like cared for and loved in that moment. And I love that you you did that. Um, or I love that you just called me after work to check in because I know it doesn't come naturally to you. But like, it really, really makes me feel loved when you do that. And I appreciate it. You're giving someone a hit then of like, oh, this because if you just give them no response, then they go, oh, well, okay, maybe they like it, maybe they don't. But I did it, but I guess I'm not going to be nagged now. But that's not enough. It needs to be like, I loved it when you did this, because it's you doing it, and I love doing spending time with you. I love hearing your voice. People will do things, and if you can tell them it's sexy even, you can tell them it turns you on, even if it's something that's not sexual. I had a woman once who told me, I had a girlfriend once who who told me uh, how much it turned her on when I was doing the dishes in the sink. And like, she was like, she came up and like put her arms around me and was kissing me. It was like, it's just so like sexy (laughs) and manly seeing you. And like, we'd have a whole thing where I'd do it in like a vest, a tank top, or I'd take my shirt off and be doing it. And she'd be like, it's just so sexy. So you coming in, wearing the gloves, like doing the dishes. And again, it's even like, regardless if she's being silly or not there, we're having a moment of, I'm feeling affection. I'm feeling her attraction. She's giving me attention and love for it. So it's like, oh, I, I want to do that. I want to make her happy in that way. I mean, like, it's fun to do that. And there's just so much opportunity to give people better communication on what we love and educate them on it. I know a friend, Ramit Sethi, who you know, is a money expert, but talks about relationships, he does have check-ins with his wife where they will have a time once a month or once every quarter, let's say, whatever, where they do actually like, let's spend today talking about a relationship or let's spend a few hours today talking about like where we are, what we want next, where we're going, what our goals are. And again, to some people that's super unnatural, but it's like, well, if it's a thing you care about, doing and working on you can do it in your own way that's less formal but why not why not what have you got to lose by checking in more with each other
0: man i absolutely love this and uh, i could speak to you all day um i got a couple of final questions that i would love to go through with you um and then before i ask you to kind of sign off tell our listeners with and connect with you all the great work that yourself the company that you work for um i'd love to know uh do you have a a favorite story of love whether that's you know something you have read uh, fictionally or from a client that you've you've worked with from a, a woman that you've helped is there a kind of favorite story of love that you've got
1: mm. well i've heard many real stories of love i think Fiction wise, you know, a lot of love stories in fiction, quite a lot of the good ones are cautionary. And so there's a lot of stories I've definitely read that have been things not to do. And, you know, if you go to a book like The Great Gatsby, it's really poetic, romantic, beautiful. But Gatsby is also emblematic of a real uh, unhealthy obsession. His obsession to win Daisy's heart to someone he lost long ago. He felt like he wasn't enough of a successful man to win someone like her. He has all this ambition. He goes and becomes this great man of means, and you know these lavish parties. And he's kind of all doing it to win her heart again. And there's something. You know, there's something in that where I see the ways we get the, the beauty of what we're capable of, of how much devotion and love we can give to someone and how much we can want to, like, better ourselves for someone else. But also a massive caution in creating your own myth, um, falling for a fantasy, mm. uh, having illusions about someone. Who perhaps is not the person you imagine they are. So for me, it's a pure tragedy, the Great Gatsby, but it is a love story to me that is almost like there's more to be learned from something like that. You know, it's the same way that Shakespeare's tragedies have a lot to teach you about um, terrible flaws in human nature, whether it's jealousy, indecisiveness, um, competitiveness um so yeah for me it'd be something like it'd be something like the great gatsby just for the just for the lessons you get early on from reading that
0: let's imagine that you make it to the end of your life you've had you know for you the relationship that you dreamed of uh you know if course it wasn't perfect, you had your ups and your downs, but by the end of your life, you think, you know, I've done it. And you had to write a note or a letter to this person, and you were paying your gratitude for some things that they did in the relationship that made it kind of so great for you. What would perhaps be some of the things that, at the end of your life, you would be thanking them for that made this relationship so great
1: i think i would be thanking someone in my ideal scenario look i th- i think we all have we all have flaws and we all have deep flaws and vulnerabilities and and things that just endlessly would like to change or work on or we wish that wasn't a part of us because it's the part that we feel holds us back or is part that is unpleasant. And I think if I think I would looking back be just incredibly grateful that someone was able to fully see every the whole spectrum of the good and the bad of who I am, the flawed person I am, hopefully the good person I am, and be able to have decided to take that ride with me and decided i'm gonna be completely on your side 100 percent. in spite of all these you know all these things you come with and we all come with something we all come with something that people have to learn to live with um and the fact that someone decided that i was the person whose flaws they could fall in love with.
0: That would, that would be to me, the ultimate gratitude. The last question that we ask at the end of all our podcasts, before I you sign off and tell these guys with and connect with you is what makes a life worth living?
1: Well, I think for the individual, I guess there's two parts. There's, your life worth living for you and your life worth living for the rest of the world. And hopefully you can marry the two of those together is a great, a great gift if you can. Um, I think on some level, I do believe a life well lived is one where you make the path for other people easier and happier. And better for you having been here. Um, However, in whatever big or small way you do that, I think it's a tremendous thing to be able to say at the end of your life. I, other people's journeys were made better for having me in it, and for me having existed. And if you can also have, you know, achieved your own whatever your peak experience is whatever you want to learn, do, feel, have fun with, you know, work on. I think if you can have managed to also um,
0: squeeze that out of it as well, you've done very, very well. Where can these guys connect with you? Where would you like to send our audience to go and check out?
1: Uh, I would send you to my Instagram page uh, at Stephen H Hussey, um, where I post some stuff about dating and just general content on there um you can also follow me at Stephen hussey on threads as well Stephen h hussey on threads um, also i have a youtube channel uh it's just my name Stephen hussey if you search that on youtube i'll be putting up videos if and when i can there and uh our my brother and i's website is how to get which is dating advice it's actually got stuff for men and women so if you check out my brother matthew hussey's youtube channel there's General dating advice for both sexes on there, but it's you know, kind of also a mix of personal development, confidence, all that stuff.
0: And uh, I just want to thank you once again for for taking the time. Uh, obviously, as you can imagine, you know, three hundred plus interviews. I I consume a lot of content in this space, and I can tell you that I I really believe that there's stuff that you your company have been putting out for for a long time i really really do believe that this is this is trans transformative stuff thank you and and i really love the the tone and the good nature to it and man i'm so happy that you're here in 3d uh of course so Steven, i'm so grateful for you coming here That's thank all right. you so much
1: thank you so much brother i appreciate it it's good to see you as always